Hello. So today I am joined by Karmadenta Bla, who is based in Bhutan. He is the executive director of Jangsem Monday, Meatless Monday, and he is an animal advocate for a more compassionate planet. Kamadendab is also a media producer who, before becoming head of production at the Bhutan film and media company Reflection Films, was a TV host and producer with the Bhutan Broadcasting Service, where he was also awarded a national award for his documentary during the second annual Journalism Awards. He is the founder and executive director of the Meatless Monday campaign in Bhutan, known as Jangsem Monday. And so it is with great pleasure that I welcome Kamadenda to this interview. Kuzambu and Tashidele Adela, and it's, yeah, thank you so much for having me as your guest. Kuzambu and Tashidele. So um, I first became aware of you and your work after watching your TV show, Bodhi Tree Bhutan, and also meeting you briefly at the Vajrayana Conference in Timpu, Bhutan last year. And your ideas and work on vegetarianism, and Buddhism, and also uh, related to gender equality, struck me as very interesting and courageous. So um, before speaking about that, um, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about yourself, where you're from, your family, to put your work in a bit of context. So could you tell me about a little bit about your background in Bhutan? Yes. Uh, my parents, uh originally came from a place, uh, I don't know if while you were here, Adela, if you were able to visit other places in Bhutan. So there is a, Bhutan is, yeah, like a brief uh, overview or in, of Bhutan would be, we have 20 districts. So from the 20 districts, the one adjacent to Thimpu is called Punaka, on towards the north side. So that's where my parents originally are from. Uh, my mom and dad, uh, they, uh, my father and my mother, they come from Punaka and uh, what they, they, they had was a retail business uh, and uh, I have seven siblings. We're talking about a time in Bhutan where wealth was measured in uh, in how many children uh, <laughs> a family had. So yeah, uh, in, along those terms, I guess we were quite rich because we were seven of us. And, uh -huh. and um, but what happened, like I was sharing was uh, they made their, uh, they migrated to Thimpu and uh, this is before Thimpu became the, I think before Thimpu became the capital of Bhutan because uh, Punaka used to be the old capital of Bhutan. And uh, they started a business here and uh, they themselves uh, did not have any formal education. So yeah, I keep telling them and I keep telling them that their, their computer at that point in time was their hard drive, was their brain. And that's where they stored their accounts and they did everything. And I'm very grateful for all that they were able to achieve. And uh, yeah, and okay. I did my schooling here in Bhutan. Um, yes. My so high tell me, yeah, um, if you tell me a little bit about your schooling. So um, you, you, where did you go to high school? And also your background is in cinema and media studies, right? So could you tell me a little yes. bit about what made you choose that as your, your major to study? Yes. Um, I, uh, yeah, my schooling was uh, till my, till, till class 12, what we call here as a pre-university. I did it here in Thimpu uh, from class uh, one till my till till eight. At that point in time, the old school that I went to was called uh, Lungten Zampa Junior High School. And Lungten Zampa, the name itself, um, and it, it has a lot of historical significance in Bhutan history. 
It's I don't know if you 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 visited the bridge that that's where Kandrusanam Belden is supposed to have uh, met Apajit Rubomshibo, the person. Although Chabrung is widely known here in Bhutan as the founder of Drupakaju, it was actually Pajut Rubomshibo when you when you go back to history and he was actually the first person to bring Drupakaju here to Bhutan, the state religion of Bhutan. And uh, yeah, so till class eight, I studied in Nunden Zamba. And then after that, I went for my high school in Yangchipu. And uh, yeah, all these names, I I'm, I mean, if I was speaking to any other uh, West, uh, Westerner, if I can, I'm sorry. To, <laughs> <laughs> to that they yeah, they wouldn't yes, know. I have a particular dislike of that term, but I'm, <laughs> I'm so but sorry it's okay. I, 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 I allow you to say that. <laughs> that's, that's, thank you. Thank you for <laughs> my apologies because yeah. Um, but yeah, so so if I was speaking to anybody else other than Adela, I, I don't think I needed to say that. Yeah. So anyway, so if I was speaking to anyone other than you, uh, I would have to explain what the words were. But Lungten Zampa, like the name itself, I'm sure you could uh, derive some some meaning out of that. And and then my high school was called Yang Chinku, which would translate mm -hmm. as uh, Saraswati. Yeah, the cave. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so I did my here in Bhutan and then after that I I took my first shot at graduation uh, in, in Delhi University and I was doing a course in political science uh, honors and um, in, in my first year uh, I, 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 when I look back at it I don't know if it was the culture shock although I did visit other places in Southeast Asia for, for family vacations but when I look back at it, I can't quite put my finger on it, but uh, coincidentally, I found my way towards Dharamshala. And I remember sharing with you while we were corresponding on the emails. And that was the first time I found my way to Dharamshala and Meklod Ganj. And I remember there's a cafe there, if it's still there, called uh, Khanna Nirvana. That name sticks with me. So, yeah. So, that was the first time. And I dropped off from college. Uh, that's why I said my first shot at graduation. And I came back to Bhutan. And uh, after that, I spent uh, three years of my life uh, studying Buddhism. I did my Nyendro practice uh, in a, in a Drupde, uh, where my elder sibling was the Drupin there. So I had the privilege of uh, and the honor and the good fortune of doing my Nyendro in a, in, in a very strict uh, Drupakaju intensive uh, style uh, method. And uh, after that, I spent uh, two more years teaching English to monks in a Shedra in uh, Shah Khotakha. And uh, Shah, Shah is actually Wangdi Phadrang here in Bhutan, another district. And uh, the place where I was teaching English was called Rinchenling. And uh, that should also carry some significance to you, Adela, because um, that's uh, amongst the seven lings, or I don't know if it's the eight lings of Longchenpa. Uh, Rinchenling is supposed to be one of those lings. And uh, the former, one of the five uh, uh, eminent uh, Lubins of the Shundrasang, the central monastic body here, he set up a shedra there. And uh, I was there as, as I was I was actually there to learn uh, Jung uh, philosophy, but then I ended up being the English teacher there because uh, yeah the, the when I came there the English teacher had just left for India. So um, after that uh, after uh, after spending some time learning Buddhism and getting to know myself, I came back to to the capital and that's when my my mother actually told me that you know the, to I the the idea actually was to come back and spend time with my mom and dad and, and try to help them in any physical or in, in any uh, other ways that i could uh, be of assistance 
But then my mom was like, you're still young and you need to complete your education. And then that's when I decided to go to film school. And uh, yeah, I did three years. Again, I found my way back to Delhi, a little in the outskirts of Delhi, actually in Noida. And the college that I attended was called, uh, um, it's still called, I think, Asian School of Media Studies. And I did three years of cinema. And um, it's, it's, I would highly recommend that, uh, recommend that course to anyone because it's basically at its very core is just watching films and at the end of the <laughs> three years you get it. So yeah, so, yeah, so that's what so, I did. Um, yeah. Just uh, talking about cinema then, so was the, what was the main motivation then to, to study that subject? Were you thinking at that time that you would go into media, that you may go into TV as you later did? Yes. Um, the reason behind joining cinema was um, um, when I looked at your bio as well, Adele, I see like a lot of intersections, a lot of uh, mm. things that uh, we share in common. And one thing that I used to like to do when I was um, in high school, that's when it started, was to write, uh, I still call it so-called poetry. So, mm. so I've written plus uh, 500 plus uh, so-called poems. And and uh, I think I, whenever anybody asks me the question, uh, question of why did I get into cinema, it was, it, it, I think in a way it was to, on a very basic level, I, I could say that I wanted to express myself. But uh, yeah, it was uh, about trying to update the medium of poetry to, to cinema. And, and, and I have to also uh, uh, give credit or, or thank Zonsa Jamia Khenzi Rinpoche because I remember watching an interview of uh, Rinpoche where he was speaking about why he made films. And he spoke about how uh, the Tibetan Buddhism, I mean, especially Tibetan Buddhism has a lot of iconography and, you know, symbolism. And uh, it's, it's very rich in terms of trying to, to, to share the so-called teaching or the truth uh, via uh, audiovisual mediums. And uh, I never looked at cinema that way. And uh, coincidentally, I watched a Chinese film called Hero. And uh, when I watched that film, there was an action sequence which had this accelerated slow motion movement. And, and I found the way the visuals were done very poetic. And it inspired me. And, I, and, I, and to be honest, at that point in time, after my mom told me to go and complete my education, I was thinking of what field or what course to take on. And uh, to... Because so much of my life has, and, and much of many Bhutanese lives are influenced by Buddhism. And I, at that point in time, having already delved into a little bit of Buddhist studies, I was looking at uh, a means of livelihood that, that would be the most non, non-virtuous, if I can call it that, because I don't like, <laughs> call, I don't like sinful and sin and all of that into the picture of Buddhism. So yeah, yeah. So, so, so I was okay. trying to find a livelihood that would, yeah. So the one which and now having been in the media and the filmmaking field for over a close to over a decade now, mm-hmm. I see that uh, like everything else, like all professions in life, it's how you approach it and what your intentions are that that will define whether it's a so-called virtuous livelihood or not. And uh, exactly. yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could be yeah. the most uh, non-virtuous filmmaker also. So, so yeah. <laughs> yes, well, um... Yeah, thank you. That's very interesting to learn about your poet, your interest in poetry and your poetic background. Could I ask you, um, do you have a favorite film or a movie or a director that you you find particularly inspiring in that respect? That uh, I, I I find that a very unfair question because it's like <laughs> I love so 
many films and uh, it's difficult to put down. Although well, one of the things that we do as uh, Changse Monday is when we ask our pledges also, we ask them what your favorite vegetable or your favorite fruit is or your favorite <laughs> animal. Now I think after having done with you and, and having to ask this question, I realize how unfair a question that is. Because <laughs> oh, I'm, so, yeah, I'm but, sorry. <laughs> on the top of the, top, the, the names that come to mind are um, Francis Ford Coppola. I love Coppola because, yeah, for his uh, attention to detail and, and the way he, he does. Then I like uh, Sergio Leone's um, Western. Then Scorsese also comes to mind, Martin Scorsese with his gritty. I always found uh, Scorsese to be, although I don't think I've read anything which, uh, which makes a connection between him and a new wave cinema in France. Uh, which came out uh, with Godard and Truffaut and all of them. So, but I find like what he does, the kind of movie, I mean, even Taxi Driver, when it came out and I looked at it, mm -hmm. I just found it like an extension of the French New Wave, uh, for example, like yeah. Breathless and all those movies. Yes. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, oh, that's uh, interesting Godfather. you mentioned Breathless. Yeah, that's a really a beautiful film. But also Taxi Driver, it has that element of rebelliousness to it, which uh, I'm going to get onto a little bit later in the interview because um, in some ways I think some of what you're doing is also kind of perhaps slightly rebellious, uh, not quite the taxi driver rebellious, but in some respects, uh, <laughs> at least I hope not anyway. Um, but um, but what I would say is uh, in terms of, um, before we talk about the Bodhi Tree Bhutan show and your Buddhist background as well. Um, so, what would, obviously you're very fortunate you live in a, a buddhist country you grew up in vajrayana bhutan uh, you're surrounded by buddhist culture um but you also speak very good english if i may say so as i as i'm a brit and a, a native english speaker so uh, and you mentioned you you taught english to to monks so um would you say you're also a little bit of a, a kind of an anglophile do you do you like the english language and and uh, so how did you, how did you study english and come to learn that I, um, yeah, when it comes to my English, um, uh, the one thing that I would like to share is all the, all the schools here in Bhutan are English medium. So, right. and uh, that's a term I found out that it was normal for us, like you said, like uh, growing up here in Bhutan and Vajrayana Buddhism, it, it's like every mm -hmm. day in everything that you, it, it, it permeates life here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and in that same sense, uh, English medium, I didn't know that we were taught in English medium until I made my first visit to India and I saw that the schools down there, uh, most of them are Hindi medium. That's mm -hmm. when I understood that what we had here in uh, uh, in Bhutan was unique uh, to be Asian and to have almost seven or eight of our subjects to be taught in English. So I would attribute it to the education system here. But uh, people do find my English to be fluent. I to be I uh, they say that my I'm quite fluent in, in the language, and. Uh, while when I think about it and what could have been the influence, probably it's rock and roll and uh, pop music because my, like I said, we had, um, uh, not we had, I have seven siblings, including myself. So, so my elder brother and my elder sisters and the music that they were listening to at that point in time really influenced me. And I remember back in school when I was in class one or two, uh, when other kids were singing nursery rhymes, uh, when my turn came to sing, I was singing a song about from John Bon Jovi. <laughs> so it was one of those rock songs that I was singing at that point in time. So, and as I was teaching English to monks, I did realize that um, language is something that you have to practice like, like everything else in life. 
uh, and and the more you use the language, uh, it gives your tongue and your lips and everything else exercise, I think. So I guess I get to do yeah. that a lot. Here in Bhutan, well, although we are very worried about the fact that uh, much of our um, uh, youth are uh, turning westwards uh, and mm. or turning east, far eastwards, especially Korea, K-pop is the new phenomenon that's not only yes. uh, influencing Bhutan, but the rest of the world as well. And uh, I, on the other hand, uh, don't find that uh, so so alarming because mm. I feel that, see-wise, if you can speak English, uh, then you can move around the globe more easily. So, so my wife is Sikkimese. So um, when we talk about uh, my raising my two daughters, I have two daughters, and both of them speak uh, English uh, because that's what we speak at home. And yeah. uh, I am trying to teach them as much Zongha as I can. Yes. Uh, but while other parents are alarmed and worried about how much uh, Zongha their children know, I'm quite happy with the fact that they speak English because, yeah, I mean, uh, like every place, like every, I mean, like I am very patriotic with regard to you know, what, like most Bhutanese are. But then again, I like to see Bhutan in a realistic light. And, and I remember when I was in that Shedra and I was uh, teaching one of the teachers there English and I was showing him the atlas. And when I showed him the atlas and he took the map and I was trying to show him where Bhutan was. And Bhutan was so small that they could barely fit the alphabet, the letter B in it. And while in his uh, innocence, he said that, oh, we are so small that we can't even fit the letter B. That did inspire me to think about the fact that, hey, actually we are just a speck on the on this globe and and yeah. not to take away or, the, or, the, or what yes, well, um, this is a, a subject also that I'm very interested in is the sort of multicultural influences and, you know, being a progressive or, you know, developing and growing as a culture, as a society, which we can get onto with the Jiangsen Monday, Meatless Monday. But before that, I just wanted to also briefly talk about your TV show, Bodhi Tree Bhutan. Um, so if you could just very briefly, briefly talk about that. Now, you mentioned that you, you studied Buddhism. So you obviously have that background in, in Buddhist philosophy and in practice by the sound of it. So um, when I read about Bodhi Bhutan and your reasons for setting that up and trying to sort of bypass the kind of ritualistic aspects of religion, you know, this kind of archaic, very sort of unrelatable aspect of religion, um, I, I thought that was very interesting because this is also something I'm really trying to do with Bikini translations and using music and images and so on. And as you grew up in, in a very sort of what, what someone might say is a, a very religious culture. Um, so can you say a little bit more about Bodhi Tree Bhutan and how that was received um, by the Bhutanese society? And was it was it embraced and accepted? Or did you face any challenges with the way you were presenting Buddhism? Yes. Um... Uh, Bodhi Tree Bhutan, um, while there are, I mean, while I had to write a proposal to my executive to get the show passed uh, so that he would approve of it and, and I could uh, broadcast it. On a personal front, which was not uh, written on the paper, on, on, the, on the proposal that I submitted, it was my way of giving back to Bhutan what I received uh, in manifold for, for the little bit of time that I invested in Buddhism. Because the, the fact that I'm sitting here sharing this conversation or or I'm a father now, or a husband and uh, son, and all of that, and how yes. how uh, valuable I find my life to be. It it all go, goes back to 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 my to 
to the time that I invested in Buddhism. And uh, yeah, so and, and I thought that uh, like just like me, uh, many Bhutanese youth, they are growing up now uh, in an English medium school and uh, mm -hmm. in this Buddhist culture. And, and, and while life as itself is a challenge and it can be frustrating and confusing for anyone anywhere on the globe, uh, for me, being born here in Bhutan, I, I shoulder a responsibility which nobody has actually formally put on me, but but as a Buddhist and 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 with the first truth of uh, the Buddha being the truth of suffering, the little that I can do to alleviate that. So Buddhism has really had an influence uh, in my life. Uh, prior to me going down to the retreat center and doing my Nyanro practice, I would uh, take pride in the fact that I would say that I was spiritual and I was not religious. But then yeah. after my Nyanro practice and I received my first instructions on Shine and on, on Mahamudra and all of that and, and sitting down and trying to, to have four sessions of two, two hour sessions for, I mean, four sessions, two hours each. And while trying to do that, I, I can't say that there was a revelationary moment, but I did realize how, how impermanent life was. And along those lines, I also came to accept the fact that I'm a Buddhist and, and I'm now proud to share that I'm a Buddhist. And while the intellectual side, the intellectual section of the, so of the Buddhist community might have problems with the ism in Buddha and the, the East in the Buddhist and all of those things. I yeah. I find it like I'm, for me, it's more about communicating the idea, the truth, or whatever could be of benefit to, to everyone. So I would I will go pretty much with whatever the language will help the other person, and that's the personal reason behind Bodhi Bhutan. The the reason which I put on my proposal was uh, that I wanted to uh, because when you Google uh, Bhutan, you will invariably uh, one of the search results will be the last Vajrayana kingdom of Bhutan, uh, last Vajrayana kingdom in the world. And I find it uh, not appalling. I find it um, <laughs> ironic that if you walk, if you walk down the streets and if you were to meet any youth and were to ask them, uh, like, yeah. are you familiar with the Buddha's life or, you know, what are the four noble truths and any anything like that. They, I, I would uh, bet that, you know, they would have very less to share. And I, on a very um, literal level, I thought that what my show would be able to do is, on a very basic level, help people to understand that, hey, there was once a prince in India, or you can say Nepal, or you know, at that point in time, because that is also controversial now in this day and age. So yeah, there was once a prince, let's just say, without adding any nationality to him. <laughs> and yeah, and he left his yeah, kingdom and uh, went in search for the truth. He wanted to find an end to suffering. Yes. All of this romantic and magical ideas that 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 I am able to you know just share with anybody who were to ask me about Buddhism. I wanted to, in a sense, empower the youth of Bhutan to be able to speak about what they're they what they are known for to the rest of the world, and the yes. other benefits of yeah. Okay. Um, navigate yeah. Yeah. No, I mean this is great because um, and and so would you say that it was it was generally well accepted in the Bhutanese society, the, the TV show? Was it was it very popular? I will ask you to be the judge of that because it used <laughs> to be a monthly show. It used to be yes. a monthly show and uh, then it grew to be a weekly. And it used to be half an hour and it grew to be one hour. And uh, coming oh. from my background of cinema, coming from my, my background of cinema, I 
I would never actually do the show the way I did it. Because in essence, when you look at it, it's just two talking heads. I mean, with all <laughs> due respect to all the Rimboches, Tukus, Kimbos, and scholars who, who came on the show and uh, who supported my idea. But yeah, it's just two talking heads and we don't have anything visual or captivating <laughs> in that show. Yeah. And the fact that it became uh, a one-hour show and it became weekly and we used to get fan mail from, from Brazil to Argentina, from Latin America to, to Europe. In fact, I found out somewhere in Ireland, there was a Gomde there who people there were watching, using some of my show material to, to even understand the philosophy. We can call right. them that. So, so be, before yeah, we go it, on to yeah, before we go on to Meatless uh, Monday, Jiangsan Monday, um, which is obviously uh, also very influenced by by Buddhism, no doubt. Um, what would you say uh, makes what is a Buddhist? I mean, Buddha was not a Buddhist, as you said. Buddha himself was not a Buddhist. Um, so, getting away from the ism, the is. What, what do you think makes someone a Buddhist? And what, what is Buddhism? What is it about, in, in your view? Uh, I keep referring to Zonsan Jamyang Khelsey because he came out with a Buddhist <laughs> not a Buddhist. And uh, when you go through the Heart Sutra and you talk yes. about there's no body, there's no sound, there's no smell and all of that, that, that negate. But yeah, without making it confusing, if I were to share for me what is Buddhism, it's it's the acceptance of your mortality. It's mm -hmm. the acceptance of your mortality. And then it's a method of being able to coexist and uh, live in harmony with... Uh, before I started start, started Changsen Monday, I wouldn't have put the animal segment into it. Although we uh, all Tibetan Buddhist practice starts with Manam Khadanyam Yesem Jethamje, which is like all mother sentient beings. But yeah, I wasn't really... I, I, I mean, just I, I hope I'm not jumping the gun, but with regard to animals, <laughs> I'm not that animal lover who will who you will find me rolling in the dirt with a puppy and you know that that's not how oh, one of the oh, I'm very I'm disappointed. <laughs> yeah, but you will yeah, so I'm not one of the animal lovers. But, yeah. but having said that, um yeah, coming back well, to, to yeah, yeah so coming, coming, coming back, back to Buddhism, Buddhism for because me. we're gonna talk about the yeah, the animals. Um yeah. all right. So it's about accepting your uh, it's it's about accepting your mortality, and the second thing is about living in harmony with not just humans, but thanks to Changse Monday, now I would like to include animals, and uh, thanks to climate change, uh, the environment as well. So I think yes. uh, those are two segments which I am so happy that the seventeenth Karma Ugin Doji has bought into the four of Buddhism. I mean, there might be other teachers who do it, uh, but uh, to my knowledge, when I saw, I'm getting goosebumps talking about that because, yeah, the 17th Karmapa, uh, when he spoke about um, environmentalism and uh, gender mm -hmm. equality and uh, even vegetarianism. So all of these things for me, here in Bhutan, we have uh, His Holiness, the J. Kempo, who brought it to the fore. But on a global uh, scene, to my knowledge, and I might be wrong, uh, uh, there might be other people, I'm sure once you <laughs> put this on, on on the net, there'll be a lot of people who will who are wiser than me and smarter than me and who can correct me if I'm wrong. But to my knowledge, it was uh, the current uh, Karmapa after he uh, escaped from uh, Tibet and he, he yes, took the reins of Karmakaju school. That's, yes, that's when well, I saw I, this. 
Yeah. Well, I'm very, I'm very glad you mentioned the 17th Kamapa. Um, obviously, I'm, I, I, I follow a lot of his work, and particularly on vegetarianism and his teachings. And I agree with you in that respect. He's really um, excellent in, in on the vegetarianism, but also on gender equality as well. Now. Let's look at the animals then, because, for example, um, you mentioned that you are an animal advocate and that one of the reasons you set up Janssen Monday was to reduce uh, meat eating, not only for the environment, but also for the welfare of animals. So perhaps um, we could talk a little bit more about that. Um, so first of all, I just wanted to say, if we look at everything about Bhutan in general, because I don't know Bhutan very well. I've visited there a couple of times. It's a beautiful country. Um, but what's the kind of general level of meat eating there, would you say? Um, previously, um, previously, this is before Coca-Cola and America and the internet and airplanes. So, so before all of this uh, changed our world, not just Bhutan, uh, I think back in the days when I, because I've asked this question to my mom and dad and how 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 was eating at that point in time here mm. in Bhutan. And uh, when we think about it, uh, Bhutan was poor. It still is poor with regard to 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 the, the per capita income that uh, Bhutan has. We are finally, I think this year, we are graduating from a least developed country to a developed country. And um, I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I could have a whole talk and a session about that mm. as well. But with regard to your question, so uh, frugality, uh, Bhutan being uh, poor at that point in time, people couldn't afford meat. So that could have been one of the reasons. So overall, the, it was very minimal. Even right now, even today, I think uh, during breakfast, we were talking about uh, Changsen Monday, me and my wife, and she was talking about how my father, uh, who still consumes meat, uh, who's 92 now, and uh, how like the way he eats meat is it's it's very little. It's like a seasoning almost in in the curry that he, and that's that's generally how anybody who could afford meat in Bhutan that's how they used to eat meat. So that's that's then. But now, uh, thanks to the sad diet, uh, <laughs> pun intended, because sad stands for the standard American diet. Yeah. So, so I'm detecting a little bit anti-Western sentiment here. I hope I'm wrong about that. No, no. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, I, I can't I, I can't really say much against America because uh, Meatless <laughs> Monday and Gangsen Monday has its roots in, in New York. Uh, uh, the Meatless Monday uh, campaign started in New York. So so yeah. So but then hey, again you Okay, so um, we're talking about um, Buddhism and vegetarianism, and this was one of uh, one of the driving factors also behind you setting up Jiangsen Monday, which is Meatless Monday in Bhutan. Now, I'm very interested also in the Buddhist aspect of that. For example, the word Jiangsen in Tibetan it means like a bodhisattva, right? For those who speak Tibetan. Um, so, could you tell me a little bit more about the sort of the name Jansen, why you use that, and um, why you decided to introduce this Meatless Monday into Bhutan itself. Plus, so um, this all started off with uh, exactly with the uh, with 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 a panel discussion, a meeting, a uh, panel show that was held in RIM uh, here in uh, Thimpu, uh, in the southern part of the, the city. And um, 
the talk was called Buddhism and Vegetarianism. And at that point in time, I was uh, I was working for the Bhutan Broadcasting Service and uh, I was in a unit called the Lifestyle and Culture Unit. And uh, yeah, so I was uh, approached to cover that event. And when I went down and um, that it was a very uh, enlightening, life-changing uh, uh, panel discussion for me because the topic was Buddhism and vegetarianism and the panelist uh, the guest was uh, David Young who uh, leads the Green Monday campaign in Hong Kong then there was uh, Emily Pearson who was from UK and she was a nutritionist and a, and, and a yoga practitioner and uh, then there was a Kimbo an Acharya from the Central Monk Body and uh, it was moderated by a fellow colleague of mine, uh, Namgizam, who is also, we have her on Changse Mandi as a GM celeb, hashtag GM celeb. And the talk, uh, what uh, David Young brought to the panel was he brought the environmental aspect of uh, going meatless and the impact, the, the adverse effect of the meat industry. And what Emily Pearson brought to the table was the nutritionist, uh, the nutritious uh, aspect of it, how it is, it's good for your health. And uh, what the Kimbo uh, from the Central Monk body bought was the religious aspect of it. And uh, when I heard all of those talks and I participated in that, and you can find this talk on, on the BBS uh, website uh, and their YouTube channel, it's called Buddhism and Vegetarianism. And uh, I edited and uh, broadcasted, I don't know, quite quite a number of times on, on, on the tube. And uh, besides that, I've even cut it up into shortest segments, which deal with just environment, just David Young's segment and all of that. And this uh, panel, uh, this uh, panel discussion was the catalyst, was the, in fact the seed of of how Changsei Monday came about, because yes. that's when I keep, I, that's when I was made to understand that not only is uh, meat not uh, good for you, on 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 a health. Uh, aspect on a on, on, on a health level. But more scarily than that is the fact that uh, it it's it has an environmental impact. And uh, when that was brought uh, to my attention, yeah, I yeah, then then I started to research, look into yes. it, look into agriculture, animal agriculture and raising meat for food and yeah, yes. so so that that was Pandora's box, and uh, that's well. Can I out. can I open the Pandora's box a little bit more? Because one of the things oh. that I think <laughs> one of the things that I think uh, certainly, well, you know, as as you said yourself, I mean, the seventeenth Kamapa has taught quite significantly a lot about Buddhism. He's even said that you know quite controversially at one teaching in Bodhgaya, which I attended. If you if you eat meat, you're not really you can't really call yourself a kagyu or even a Buddhist. Now, so some people are often quite shocked at how many Buddhists are eating animals, and I say eating animals because this is what it is, right? So now, what's your view on that? Because um, certainly from the Buddhist philosophical perspective, um, it's really not debatable that the Buddha did teach many times in many places, and particularly the Lankapatara Sutra, for many, many reasons not to eat animals um, that have been slaughtered deliberately. Um, so why is it then that in some Buddhist countries, not all, for example, in vegetarian India, I think a lot of Indians are, are vegetarian. But in other countries, for example, we know in Tibet, you know, there were a lot more meat eaters. 
But even then, the 17th Lamapa has said that, you know, um, there were many great Tibetan Buddhist masters who were strict vegetarians as well, even during that time when it was difficult to, to grow things there. So what's your view on this? Um, why do so many Buddhists eat meat? Um, yeah, with regard to India, I think, yeah, um, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, you already spoke about it, but with regard to Tibet, uh, one thing that is similar uh, with regard to Tibet and, and the northern part of Bhutan, which is Gaza, we have a, a state, like I share 20 states in Bhutan and uh, the 20 districts, uh, one of them is called Gaza, and that shares a border with uh, uh, Western Tibet. Uh, and there, when we were doing advocacy for Changse Mandi, I realized that they are in the same uh, situation as I, until that point in time, um, I, I, I wouldn't have uh, had any insight with regard to Tibet. So that was the fact that uh, it, vegetables and fruits don't grow up there at that attitude. It's, mm -hmm. it's across the tree line. So maybe people can use that as an alibi or an excuse to eat meat. Because when I look at the biography of the 17th Karmapa, Ugentile uh, Doji, uh, he was born to a nomadic uh, family. And uh, I remember reading about how as a child he had such a difficult time coming to terms with uh, seeing animals being slaughtered or, mm. or having to eat. And then eventually, and I mean, he does bring humor to the fact when he made his first visit to to, to, to the United States, and that's when many Tibetans wanted to, uh, Tibet, Tibetans who in exile there in the US wanted to make His Holiness uh, the Karmapat eat uh, barbecue. I think he, they wanted him to try the steak and stuff like that. And by the time he <laughs> finally got his visa to go to the US, he had turned vegetarian. So he was saying yeah. that's one of the things that never quite got to experience or taste. Yeah. But here in Bhutan, with regard to what I can speak about uh, meat, is uh, the taste of it to begin with and secondly there is also a status uh, status thing associated with meat and i hope with what we are doing with changse mandi and trying to share cool uh, uh, celebrities from abroad as well as in mm -hmm. bhutan who are leading a meatless life that we can change that mindset because until recently uh, in in the earlier conversation that we were sharing as well i did share about the fact that at that point in time, Bhutanese were, I mean, we were poorer than what we were in, uh, now, and we couldn't afford the meat. And what my take on that is because we were working on an advocacy video uh, similar to the Meatless Monday campaign, uh, an animated uh, campaign video that the Meatless Monday campaign did in the US. And I was trying to do that, replicate that here in Bhutan. But I didn't want to copy it word to word and uh, make it exactly like what they had done in yes. the US wanted to make it uh, relevant to Bhutan. And that's when well, I was brainstorming with a fellow producer of mine. And I and I and that's when I, I felt like I hit up upon the mother load because I was like, there is a status symbol associated with meat consumption here in, in, in oh, Bhutan. It's like yeah. only the rich can eat meat. And nobody wants to come across as being poor or sad or, you know, like, yeah. like impoverished or financially deprived. So that could be one of the factors. I can't say that that is the factor that yes. people are eating meat. Because with regard to meat, and when you look at uh, here in Bhutan, we say that jobshi ya luke ya shi job luke. That's that's a very colloquial um, uh, everyday proverb which says that a job is a kind of like a derogatory term, but I don't mean it with, in, in a derogative sense. But it's it, 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 it's somebody like a northerner. <laughs> I'm, I'm with all these directions, westerners and northerners and easterners. Yeah. 
So anyway, the, I, I hope Bhavan, I hope you will be able to return to northern Bhutan after saying that. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I'm just joking. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, we actually yeah. we have a similar term in in English, believe it or not, sort of the north south divide. But um, but um, just going back to this video yeah. that you made, which I also watched and thought was fascinating, is you you sort of you go for the reducing meat eating for sort of three main reasons, right? First, you choose health, um, uh, and then the next is obviously the environment, and then third, the animal welfare, which, again, from a Buddhist perspective, is, is, a, is perhaps a bit surprising, as they might, that that is the number one, um, the love and compassion for the animals themselves who are being bred to slaughter. But if we could just look at the health uh, issue, though, because this is also something the Buddha himself mentioned, uh, was how it's very bad for the body as a practitioner to eat animals for the chakras and the internal body as well. So you use the slogan, meat is the new tobacco. Um, and this is something also a lot of other animal vegetarian activists are, are saying that meat is extremely addictive, but also very unhealthy. So could you also talk a little bit about that? Why did you choose that slogan? Yes. Um, I will come back to the slogan, but uh, to go back to what I was talking about with regard to the earlier question that you had. Oh, yes, why yes, okay, sorry. That, that, that uh, thing that I shared in Zonka, uh, which is like, Job shi ya luke, ya shi Yes, yes, that's, yes, that's yes like, sorry. The Job, Job is a, a northerner, and he he's supposed to, they're saying that you slaughter the yak, and then the yak takes a rebirth as a Job, and then he kills the Job, who is then the yak. And it's similar to... <laughs> Baba uh, Arya uh, Katayana's thing when he says, uh, what does he say? He says, um, and I think with somebody else, I, I would have to translate that. But it's when <laughs> when the Papa Katayana, he went on a, you know, for his gonsi, for his arms rounds, and he saw a, a Pasha, Pasha eating the father's meat, Pasha Sala Maladek, means like, and you're beating the mom. There was a dog trying to eat the meat. I think you must have come across this parable in Tibetan Buddhism, which is there in the Pinzala Mishenu. So, so yeah, I'm not saying that it, it's karmic that the animal lands up in your plate, uh, but you know, it, it's. I'm not saying that it's not as well also. And that's where I, there is a very popular saying that we, especially in so-called Buddhist countries and region, they use a lot, which is they keep quoting uh, the Buddha and saying that um, you know, that's what the Buddha is supposed to supposedly have said when he told Ananda that animals die uh, out of their own karma. So do not lament, O Ananda. And uh, that <laughs> I found out when I was in yeah. the Shedra, one of the monks uh, sharing with me that that's a so-called Theravada perspective. And well, um, you know, playing the advocate, obviously, as someone who might be watching this, they might say, well, of course, that's a selected quote. Actually, the Buddha taught many times that eating slaughtered animals was not the bodhisattva way, it was not the compassionate way, and also it was actually unhealthy. So this is something maybe other people yeah. who've not read the Lankavatara Sutra might not be aware that the Buddha actually did say as a practitioner mm -hmm. as well for the chakras, eating flesh and blood of a murdered animal is also very unhealthy. Um, so there's this idea as well that monastics can eat uh, meat because the Buddha said, you know, when you're begging for food, if someone puts the meat in your bowl, then you can accept it. Otherwise, you should never go out and 
look for it willingly. And again, some people have interpreted that, this is what the 17th Kamapa was saying, as suggesting that monastics can eat meat. And one of my observations, but a lot of people's observations, is how many monastics eat meat regularly, not just in India, but also in other parts of the world. And this is something I think the 17th Kamapa is really trying to address that this actually is against the Vinaya. It's not just a case of a lay person who can't stop eating meat, but a monastic who eats meat is actually breaching Vinaya. So it's it's kind of even more serious than people think in a way. But um, but just going back to this addictive quality of meat and the unhealthy aspect of meat, you said you use the slogan, meat is the new tobacco. Um, yes. Could you could you talk to that a little bit more about the addiction? Because people get used to eating meat, right? They grow up with it, uh, and it's like an addiction. So they have, think, yeah, it is an addiction because you even have kind of like a you uh, uh, you go through withdrawal and cold turkey and stuff mm -hmm. like that because yeah because <laughs> yeah. depending upon the intensity or the level of how much meat you are consuming, because um, exactly. honestly, before I started Changsim Monday. Um, Earlier, you know, in, in, in my introduction, when I was talking to you about my first shot at college, at that point in time, also, I did uh, try to turn vegetarian because I was I've been brought up and raised with meat. So mm. when I was in India doing my first uh, my attempt at college, I did uh, try to uh, turn vegetarian. In fact, I did turn vegetarian until that point when I reached uh, Dharamshala in my own spiritual journey. So at that point in time, I had stopped eating meat to the point that at, at um I, I reached an almost an obsessive level where I couldn't even uh, start taking vegetables as well because I started to think about the pesticides and the insecticides that were used to kill the veg uh, the the pests that uh, land on the vegetables. So it was on a very obsessive, um, compulsive, uh, scary uh, level that I did that on a paranoid mm -hmm. level. And later on, when I the second time around when I started uh, Changse Mandi, I was still eating meat. So and that's what I tried to emphasize and tell people. Every advocate of Changsim Mandi as well, that it's one day. I try to emphasize to them to that whenever they are advocating about Changsim Mandi, to please share that it's one day. And okay. coming to that slogan about uh, meat uh, being the new tobacco, uh, that's actually a, a Google image that I had downloaded. And I put it in the presentation when I was re-editing it to better enunciate uh, what I was trying to share. Because if I'm not getting the date wrong, it was in 2015 that the WHO came out with uh, with uh, with with a statement or a, a research mm -hmm. uh, result which stated that processed meat, especially, is even maybe even more harmful than than tobacco itself, mm -hmm. and uh, carcinogenic, and you know, it can, and it can be a cause of cancer and stuff like that. And uh, another thing that I would like to clarify is while I do share about health and then I share about environment and then I share about animal welfare, it's not on a categorical level that uh, on, on, on a level that or a ranking level that animal welfare comes third and uh, what do you call it nutrition comes first. Mm. But uh, then again, it, it it might be correct because the way I'm going about advocating for Changsim Monday is uh, like my Bodhi Tree Bhutan show. I advocated and shared it and I proposed to my executives saying that it was a youth, the target audience was the youth. But once it's on the telly, then everybody watches it. So so in that similar sense, with regard to Changsim Monday as well, 
actual our actual target is is the youth and mm. uh, with regard to the going back to what we uh, started this conversation in our intro about how although buddhism is everywhere here in bhutan the mm. fact that we are learning um, uh, physics chemistry and maths and all these different subjects and we learn it in uh, in a so called english medium uh, uh, institution and school setting so so much of our thinking and uh, especially the internet and everything doesn't help as well so you you can see that i physically look asian and i look bhutanese but so much of how i think and all of our thinking uh, in this day and age is is um, with no pun intended it's very <laughs> european and american <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. if i can put a country to it yeah rather yes. than a direction yeah. to it <laughs> yes that, i i think uh, but also i mean some some might say that um the the sort of mass meat eating certainly you know with the burger industry in america it certainly took off the most there but mcdonald's yeah mcdonald's and all the junk food um but certainly in europe but also in many other countries of the world in asia for example in china in singapore in japan in taiwan many people eat murdered animals and that's really what it comes down to now the reason why buddhists even in tibet now there's a vegetarian movement to stop the kind of mass slaughter of yaks um i don't know if you you you've come across that um it's it's picking up pace there is that i think a lot of particularly buddhists whatever country they're from whatever culture they're from are starting to really question this culture which has arisen um particularly in tibetan buddhism of people regularly consuming murdered animals when the buddha himself taught very clearly that that was not okay to do um so the the question is really about how to change people's mindset so we can change people's mindset on a health aspect the environmental aspect is certainly very important now but in terms of that inner sort of view that buddha himself uh, strictly kind of said you know this has to you shouldn't do that it doesn't seem to be getting through somehow this message in whatever country one is in right um but can i just be Good. before we before we uh, talk about the buddhists also you did mention environment so environmentalism is extremely um important when it comes to slaughtering animals for meat right and one very famous environmentalist jonathan safran fur who wrote a book called eating animals said that if you eat animals and you are an environmentalist then you basically have a major blind spot um and that major blind spot is he's saying you cannot really be an environmentalist and eat animals at the same time so what's your view on that because obviously you are connecting the environmentalism as well i i agree wholly and absolutely with that statement and i have in fact i didn't know who came out with that quote because that's the thing about about the internet you half the information that you get unless you are able to verify and validify mm -hmm. who the person is uh, you don't know where it came from but yeah thank you for that adel and uh, yeah i absolutely believe that agree with that and uh, there is a very popular um animal advocate uh, james cameron who's made this uh, a filmmaker mm -hmm. so when when he he made um, 
this, uh, I think it was James Cameron who produced uh, the Game Changer. And in there as well, you see many top athletes and uh, people on, 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 on the pinnacle or, or, or the epitome of, of whatever uh, sports or field that they're in. And all of them and how these are the people who have changed their, uh, changed their diet to a wholly uh, plant-based diet. And uh, and with regard to that, you see there one of the person who was who's a who's a ranger in Africa. I think maybe he was British, and he's there. He was saying that daytime he was going out and he was seeing the elephants and on, on and the lions or whatever that he was protecting them from the poachers. And then he was coming back home and he was eating. Uh, he was uh, borrowing from you. He was eating murdered animals. Yeah. So for him, he saw that disconnect and he was able to mm. make that connection. And then to see that this speciesism that I, I'm this animal needs to be saved and this animal is all right to be eaten. So so he was able to see that the policy in his his perspective in life and and similarly with regard to environmentalism, uh, it's it's the same uh, for me as well because I I see that you want to protect the environment and uh, you want to save the planet, but if you are eating the inhabitants of that planet so so it defeats what you're trying to do it's 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 and with regard to animals i wanted to share because in the earlier uh, segment when we were talking about animals and i did share that uh, you know i'm not one of those people who who hugs a puppy and is rolling in the dust and stuff like that but the amazing thing about starting changsem monday and although it was just one day and it eventually led to me uh, now predominantly leading a vegan life uh, is is that now my daughter, my elder daughter wanted to adopt a pet. And uh, on Changsem Monday, one of the things that I advocate for is to hashtag adopt, don't shop. So because after seeing the kind of treatment that these mothers, uh, pet mothers need go through in these pet factories, it it, it, it was alarming. It, it's it's, it's mm. shocking. It's beyond belief that you know, we would mm. be subjecting animals to that. So when she wanted to get a pet, I said, we will adopt because I can't be telling people to adopt and I myself go and get a pedigree or a German shepherd or, <laughs> or a poodle or whatever that people that my daughter had in mind. So now we have Frisky in our family. And I say that he's a fifth member of our family. And uh, oh, how nice. we got a pup from a rescue center and uh, nice. it's three years now. And he's a really smart, intelligent, and the best part about him being a street, I don't like to use that word. I like to yes. go with the word rescue. So yeah, and uh, the thing about adopting a rescue is that they are very smart and they're very resilient mm -hmm. uh, genetically. So they don't fall sick as easily as many of those uh, pedigree uh, dogs do. So we have him in our family and yeah, he's, he's like a son to me. So I, I, I feed him every night, we pet him, bathe him. And I keep telling my daughter that I thought he, he was your pet and it turns out that I'm doing all of the grooming. So <laughs> I now grown yeah. to love animals in a way that I never thought I would. And every time I'm eating as well also, I would be telling my wife that back in high school, if anybody said that I would be putting broccoli or lettuce or having a Buddha bowl <laughs> for lunch, I would be like, yeah, you're crazy. That's never going to happen. <laughs> but all of that started with, yeah, with stopping just one day and uh so, yeah that kind of leads me to the yeah go on. just the, the next question which was about how has this been received in bhutan so for example would you say the majority of people in bhutan do eat eat, eat animals in their diet um and how has meatless monday been received has it generally been a positive reception 
Uh, we are on our ninth year running now. So the fact that we are still alive and kicking also speaks for the fact that it, it, it's doing well. Besides yeah. that, I can also share the fact that when we first started out, um, I was apprehensive and I and I and I honestly speaking, I, I thought that I would I there was no plans for me to turn vegetarian and then eventually I'm on the path to becoming vegan now. So it's it's I never thought all of this would happen. I just wanted to get the guilt of uh, not eating meat out of my head. And I thought that, you know, the rest of Bhutan would also follow suit if I started a flexitarian movement as uh, mm. all these meatless man uh, campaigns okay. are known as. And uh, the fact that uh, uh, now, overall, when you look at the Bhutan demographic and from what we see online, as well as you see people eating, uh, not eating meat, the current, the next generation next, the next uh, batch of Bhutanese who are coming onto the scene and who are now going to take over Bhutan, I'm very happy to share, are eating more and more vegetables and they're turning away from uh, uh, for meat. So that's a very healthy and an inspiring trend that we see. But uh, with regard to the older generation, they are more hard to convince because like we were talking about, it's like tobacco is addictive and all of that. So so, yeah. so much of the takers with regard to Changse Mandi followers are youth and I'm very, very happy and I couldn't ask for anything more. I mean, ideally you would want everyone to uh, see the light, if I can call it that. But having said that <laughs> yes. I will settle for the youth, the, the generation next, which is going to come. Because one of the quotes which I love and I share in every talk that I share uh, you know, with regard to Changse Monday and animal mm -hmm. advocacy is, I think it's a Native American quote, which says that we borrowed this planet from our children and not, we didn't inherit it from our forefathers. And I think I, I, I like that. I, I, I yes. like that uh, and uh, with regard to our results, we just got our 70th, 70, 70th school on board, uh, which is observing Changse Monday. And uh, besides that, if we were to have a tally of, uh, we have close to uh, nine restaurants, uh, which are vegetarian, not vegan. Vegan, we in Bhutan, we are still, uh, in Southern Bhutan, there is a restaurant which has uh, vegan pastries. But uh, besides that, and we do see some vegan products here in Thimpu, but besides that, uh, there, are, there, there are more and more uh, vegetarian restaurants coming out, which I can take that as a healthy signal or yes. of, of what is the popular trend. And overall, I feel that people are a bit reluctant to, although Instagram's most popular post is food post, with regard to Bhutan, I see a lot of uh, guilt whenever somebody shares a meat post. So, which I am happy to share because uh, I'm not happy that they're feeling guilty, but I am in a way kind of happy also because that means that there is yes. a germ in there which feels that yes, you know, exactly. what, I'm doing, what I'm posting is not right because like you shared, we call it meat, 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 but it's actually a flesh of a living being. And yeah, um, with animals, to Buddhism, yeah. if I may go back to that earlier thing that you were sharing about the Langavatara Sutra and all of that, uh, it's it's... What we here in Bhutan popularly believe is that the Buddha is said to have said, Hong Te Toksum, no? Hong yes. to see meat an animal being killed, Te as in to hear that, you know, I'm killing a pig for you or a roost chicken for you, and Hong Te Tok. And if you even doubt that this animal was killed for you, and I think it was a Hollywood celebrity, Ashton Kutcher, or somebody who shared that with regard, he said this with regard to domestic violence. And he said that, I don't know is no longer a good, uh, good enough exactly. excuse. 
in that same light, uh, I think home, although whether you, you do, whether you, if you want to see it, you can just type animal slaughter and you'll see it on YouTube. Exactly. And two is, it's, you know, you've heard everywhere and you don't need to, you need to be mentally challenged to not understand that what you're eating is an, uh, is something that has been killed. And with regard to the dhopa, uh, which is the doubt, I mean, like you're just kidding yourself if you're thinking that, you know, this animal. And one problem that I had when I started to do Changse Monday was people were talking about human slaughter. And you know they talk about stuff like that, and 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 I mean, like it it, it baffles me sometimes to think that yes, we can exactly. come out with ideas like that because how how can you humanely cut somebody or yes, kill somebody yes. or slice somebody? It's there is no way or no way of justifying that any kind of slaughter is humane. So yes, so, well, just uh, <laughs> ending on that note because. Um, as you said, you're a music fan yourself. I'm from the UK. And uh, I don't know, you're probably aware, but Paul McCartney of the Beatles um, was a very famous uh, vegetarian vegan activist, actually, with his uh, wife, Linda McCartney. And he said that, you know, if, if, glass, if slaughterhouses had glass walls, then everyone would give up eating meat. Um, and so some people even advocate taking school children into slaughterhouses. It seems quite extreme, but sometimes it's only when seeing, as you said, as the Buddha said, that would actually have a real impact, you know, on one's sort of compassion and understanding. So what do you think about that? You know, if, glass, if slaughterhouses had glass walls, do we need to start being more, uh, I guess, overt about it, even to children? For example, to tell children, uh, you know, this is what this is what your meat. This is what this animal is. This, this meat is. It's a it's a, a murdered animal, and that's how it got on your plate. Yeah, with regard to Sir Paul McCartney. <laughs> Sir yeah. Paul McCartney. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I yeah, he's uh, Meatless Monday started in the U.S. and uh, Sir uh, Paul McCartney brought it to to the U.K. and it's known as Meat Free Monday, and it's very. I mean, from what we see online, because I I'm yet to visit London or the, the UK and um, okay. yeah, so from having seen what they share online. So Meat Free Monday is like Changse Man Monday is what Changse Monday is to Bhutan is what Meat Free Monday is to the UK. And I agree, I've read many times, I've seen uh, even the Changse Monday song that I don't know if I have shared it with you, is it's loosely inspired by the Meat Free Monday song that uh, uh, Paul McCartney yeah, I can think we can do away with his knighthood first now. So what Paul McCartney did uh, uh, for Meat Free Monday. And, uh, but with regard to advocacy, what I love about the Meatless Monday campaign is that it's a flexitarian movement and, and every country can bring their own ideas mm -hmm. to the table. So they can advocate it. I love the fact that they've kept it so loose. And yes. uh, how, it's, uh, at, uh, how the advocacy works in the UK is different from how they are doing in the UAE or how they're doing it in Korea. And I think now the last time I checked, it was close to 45 countries that was doing uh, Meatless Monday. When I joined them, uh, it was, we were at some, somewhere close to 30 countries and the number keeps increasing. And here in Bhutan, I have been, uh, the way that we have advocated it, it is starting from the name that Changsem Monday, there is, there is a fusion there. Changsem is like you shared, it's a Tibetan or a, 
uh, Bhutanese, uh, Zonkho word, if you can call it that. And Monday is the English word. Similarly, if you listen to our song, also it's 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 it's, it's a Zonkha song with an English uh, guitar and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So we've done this small nuanced things which keeps the flex flexitarian movement of it um, on the forefront. Mm -hmm. And with regard to our advocacy, we have been called hypocritical and we are guilty of that. But uh, I believe that um, what I call, uh, what you were talking about with regard to taking children to, to, to slaughterhouses and letting them see things and all of that, it's uh, if you go through our post and we go back uh, to 2015 and there's eight or nine years of our advocacy, you will not find even one video of an animal slaughter. And it's deliberate. It's not by accident that we didn't do that. Because I believe, like just like I myself, I mean, I have watched when I was when I was uh, younger. There was a big drive in Bodhgaya about uh, vegetarianism, and mm -hmm. they were going about it the way with with showing gory graphic. Uh, yeah, we can also real videos of yaks being slaughtered, and you know, and it had a huge impact here in Bhutan. I think it must have turned a lot of people vegetarian as well. Uh, um, thank you so much uh, for doing this interview and taking the time to explain about your background and Jiangsan Monday. And I really wish you all the best with it. Uh, and so thank, thank you very much again for, for joining me. That's uh, Adela, and thank you so much for having me and for all of the work that you do. And I, um, I mean, like, it's fascinating to see how your journey has been from London all the way to Dharamshala. And I wish you all the best with all your endeavors. And I, like I shared, I look forward to collaborating and working with you in, 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 in your other, uh, I mean, with regard to Dakini translations as well, and what we can do together uh, as both Bhutan.